You know, uh, my friend Doug Judy said that he would be willing to grab a tree for us, for the church. <laughs> he said, how big do you want it? I said, well, big, you know. And uh, I didn't know he was actually going to take the one from Gunnison, you know, down at the end of the <laughs> shake. The, it's like the Grinch. Like, I think I didn't see you bring it in, but I think they, like, pulled it in like the Grinch. How he stuffs that stuff through the... So we'll get this thing all decorated, and we'll actually have to uh, go to Walmart to order some bulk ornaments, I think, (laughs) to finish it. But thanks, man, for doing that. Um, Man, uh, so let's just jump right in here. We're we're, uh, we're in this series where we're we're talking, we're calling it Training Days, and the idea is these are practices, spiritual practices that people, ordinary people, can do to to grow deeply in their walk with Christ. All right, to know him better, to walk with him. And it, I, I've said this every time I've gotten up here, but the premise that I'm starting from is I believe that all of us, if we're in this room, really do want to walk deeply with God. We want to know him better. We want, that's the reason that we're here. And so knowing that, then what, how do we do it? And this is, I, I've, I've learned a ton through this, this series just about these practices because a practice, you understand, is not something that you... Uh, we practice because we want to get to a, a certain destination. It's not that we showed up at the destination. We don't run the marathon on the first day. And so many times in my walk with God, I have been like, well, I'm not like that. Or, I don't have the gifts that that person has. Or I wish I was more humble or, like I told you, more generous or whatever. All these things I feel like should be parts of my life, but I haven't practiced them. And so that's been the piece that's really encouraged me personally is that there are these these practices that I can, can do that will help me take steps towards walking deeply, well with God. And, and so I hope that, that in, in these things that we've talked about, we've talked about knowing the Word really well, just diving into the Word and getting close so we hear who Jesus is through that. And then we talked, to, what's next one? We talked about um, generosity and how the, the practice of generosity is one of the greatest ways to express our faith. And then uh, this last week we talked about retreat and stepping away with God to grow close to Him. Thank you, Mark, for that. And uh, this week we're going to talk about the practice of prayer and what that looks like. And we're going to do one more uh, next week, and that is the practice of using our gifts for the kingdom, for God. And so we'll, we'll open that up next week, but that's the, that'll be the last one that we'll do in this series. So this one today is the practice of prayer. And the place that we're going to look in the scripture is Luke 11. So if you want to flip over there and you can find that uh, or we'll put it up on the wall here. Um, the disciples come, the, this, this prayer that we're going to look at actually as a model is the Lord's Prayer. And many of you who grew up in church are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. You've said it umpteen times. I started to think, how many times have I, have I recited the Lord's Prayer? Because I grew up in the church. Probably a lot of times. And so when I started to really dig into it, I'm like, I, I need to think about this a little bit more because these disciples come to Jesus, they see him, he's been praying, and they say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. In the Luke 11, there's two versions, um, apparently recorded twice, uh, in a little bit differently, different situations, but essentially the same prayer. And so in this one, in Luke, uh, the The disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray like John taught people to pray. And so Jesus says, okay, well, this is what it looks like. So we're going to use that for our model, our roadmap for prayer. But the thing about this this one in Luke is is that it's kind of the, uh, I wouldn't say it's the abridged version, but it's the short version. 
And it has all the same content, I think, you'll see, but it's just a little bit shorter, and so I, I chose to, to go with this one. And here's what I'd love to do. Whether, if, you, if you're like me and you grew up in the church, then you've recited this thing a bunch of times. So if that's the case, I would love to ask you to personalize and really consider what these words are, what we're really saying when we say the Lord's Prayer, when we say this thing, this way Jesus taught us to pray. Think about it deeply because it's probably become uh, something you just say from rote memory, perhaps. Now, if you haven't really done that, it's not, you don't even know what I'm talking about, which is perfectly fine, then uh, this is a great place to step in and say, okay, well, what, is, what does it look like to pray? What is Jesus? I mean, where, where else would we want to go to find out what it looks like to pray? And Jesus gives us a great outline, and that's, so that's where we're going to go. So wherever you come from spiritually, I think this is a great place to start in understanding prayer. And two things. We're going to look at Jesus gives us the purpose of prayer. Or, I mean, start, I'm sorry. He starts with the position of prayer, our position in that. And then he, start, and he tells us what the purpose of prayer is. So position and then prayer. Position and then purpose. Sorry, I was up really late last night because, uh, so I may go, who knows what I'm going to say. I got to go uh, with the junior high kids over to uh, Young Life Frontier Camp in Buena Vista, whichever way that is. And it, oh, everybody's pointing different ways. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I don't know where I was, and, and I don't know where I am now. But um, we, uh, man, that was incredible. In fact, uh, I was thinking when you guys were leading music, like in the middle of the music at Young Life Frontier Camp, there's 350 kids there, and they do a 30-second dance party. I thought it would be pretty fun to just pop up, you know. And also, I'll just say, for those of you who know, I took a, uh, we have a committee of people who are supporting and gathering around Young Life to help it uh, grow and, and, and thrive in our community. And they're all, I'm, the, I, I'm maybe the youngest guy there. Um, which means we're all pretty old. And uh, Steve uh, and Berna are part of that. And they're up there singing Justin Bieber songs like this. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm, I'm standing there, they're just jamming. And Roz, she's, dan- oh man, it was awesome. So anyway, I just got back from that. But let's read this uh, 11.1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, that's kind of funny. Like the, the guys are like, you know, waiting for Jesus to finish so they can go up and ask him. Um, okay, he's done. Go ask him. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. All right. Now, probably some of you are saying it with me in your mind, who know it, and you're like, wait, he left some stuff out there. So Matthew's version, like I said, is a little bit longer, uh, but this is kind of that simple, uh, shorter version. So let's talk about the position, that that first part. Uh, Jesus starts the whole thing off explaining to us what our position should be, and that is in relation to the first word in the prayer, Father. Everything about the prayer hinges on our understanding of the word Father at the very beginning. And when Jesus says Father, when he tells them to use the word Father, he understands that in their, in their times, they're no different in many ways than our times. They're, they're, the relationship between fathers and children are often broken and messed up. 
Jesus understood that when he said that. But what he has in mind is the perfect father and child relationship. Now, I was at camp. I said uh, yesterday, I met a girl. She's about 24. She's on staff there for Young Life. And she was talking about how she had uh, really, she would say, lost her faith because of her parents' situation and some other really hard things in her life. Um, and then a friend begged her to go to church, like asked her to go eight times in a row or something. And she's like, no, 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 no. And her friend finally came to her and said, I tell you what, if you'll go with me, I'll, and you don't like it, I'll never ask you again. So she's like, okay, I'll go. So she went, and while she was at, in the service, whoever was speaking at some point in, in the service said, what I want you to know is that God is unlike any father that you have ever had. And she said it just set off this series of thoughts. She said, she said I know that, but I've, I've tried to put God into this understanding I have just of what my relationship with my father was like. But what, and it changed her life, by the way. It changed her life completely. Jesus has in mind something uh, different. I think the picture that, that makes most sense to me is the idea of, you know, you picture a young dad with his uh, new, you know, maybe three- or four-year-old child crawling up into his lap, you know, in a, in a big chair and snuggling down in that safe place where that child doesn't know everything that dad knows, doesn't know if he's safe or not, but in the arms of the father is safe and can say anything and will be accepted for who, that per- who they are, right? We, kn- we know that. We know that, and that's the image. In fact, Jesus, in this, uh, when he says father in this, he uses the word for father, just the, the formal word. But Jesus also, in other places, introduces this idea that was unheard of and had, in fact, in any kind of religious understanding of a God, the idea of calling God daddy was unheard of. And Jesus says, you can talk to him and say, daddy. You can, call, you can speak to him in that way. And so whatever our images of father are, uh, us as fathers, our, our own fathers, our generational heritage in that we need to, I want to encourage you to set that aside and think more of this daddy image that I think Jesus wants them to understand. So uh, actually in 1 Peter, I have this verse, this is in 1 Peter 5. I think it's another beautiful way of expressing the same thing. It's, it's, it says uh, in, in verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, embrace the humble position that you are in. There is a father and humble yourselves before him under his hand or within his hand. And I think that to me is like that daddy in the chair holding that child. And it says, cast all your cares on him. Well, that's another translation, cast all your cares. Some of you may be familiar with that. Cast, um, uh, cast all your anxieties, everything, all of your worries upon him. And it says he will exalt you. And I personally think that's not the greatest translation. I think it's, it's better to say that he will lift you up. It's the same word, exalt or lift up. So when we see exalt, we think something kind of, royal or something, but instead it means more to to pick up and hold, and he will lift you up. 
So cast your anxieties on this father and he will lift you up. Do you see that in the imagery of the hand, humble yourselves and put yourself under and in his hand and he will lift you up. It's a beautiful picture. And I think it supports that idea of father because this is the position we need to be in when we pray. And Jesus is setting that up for us. So there's the position with the father, but then what is the purpose of prayer? And everything about the purpose of prayer is going to flow out of that idea of the father and who we're speaking to in this. Uh, So, well, I'm just going to sort of I'm going to unfold and walk through the things that Jesus says, the little the points that are in there. And the first one is this. He says, "Hallowed or hallowed, however you want to read that, be your name." Proclaim and, and what that means is to proclaim who God is. So first in that position of of speaking to this loving and concerned and caring father, then it says proclaim who he is. And and there's so much here uh you know, how many of us say Hallowed on a regular basis? I don't, I don't think I've ever said that word. Or even Hallowed. Which, you know, I don't know why we have to emphasize the, the ED at the end, but it makes it more formal, I guess. But w- what does that mean? Well, Hallowed is just uh, the same word as holy. So he's saying, holy be your name. Or your name is holy. There is a proclamation, your name is holy. And what that means is that God's name or his identity is, a, is good, it's right, it's above all things. He is above all things. In him all things are made right. Holiness encompasses a lot of different things. So you're proclaiming that when we pray, we're proclaiming that thing if we're following this model. But there's this other piece to that, and this plays out other places in this passage as well, because... Um, what this is, he says, he says, hallowed be your name, which means that I, when I'm praying, are engaged in making his name known as holy. It matters that his name is made known as holy and good and righteous. His reputation is upheld in our communities, in our families, in our lives. Okay, so think about that for a second. Because what if he said, what if I said, Lord, Father, uh, you're holy, and I'm going to sit over here while, you, while other people make sure that that's your reputation in the community. Do you see what I'm saying? We're, when I say, holy be your name, let me say that. Then I'm, I'm engaging myself in making that happen. I'm not, saying, I'm not just like checking the box. I'm saying I'm a part of this, of proclaiming what your name is. And, who you, and so when I proclaim what God's name is, I'm proclaiming who he is to everyone that I come in contact with. So there's two aspects to that uh, proclaiming when we say, your name is holy, or hallowed be your name. But then, the next thing is he says, your kingdom come. And I think this, uh, the idea here is an idea of, of participation in something a lot bigger than, than ourselves. And it's very easy for us to gloss over what it means when we say, your kingdom come. So, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but in your mind, you can raise your hand. If you, if you said, you know, if you've prayed this prayer and said, you know, thy kingdom come, you know, and we skip right over it, if we expanded what that meant and what we were committing to and what we were proclaiming, it would be something that 
we, it, it just, it, it goes beyond anything that I, I can even begin to talk about today. But I do want to try to say something about it. Um, what is his kingdom? Where is that, that place? When is it happening? All of those things are wrapped up in saying, thy kingdom come, Right? In kingdom, the idea of a kingdom is pretty hard for us to grasp in our modern Western world because most kingdoms that you read about in the news are either some kind of dictatorship or a weird social structure where there's a king or a queen that does stuff and nobody really knows why. So they're kind of ancillary to what's really happening, right? That's what we think about. There's weird kingdoms that are like horrible situations and then there's this other thing where they have a king and we don't know. In fact, I, I, heard, I thought it was funny um, that the Queen of England just jokingly, I think, um, offered to those who were disappointed with our election, election results, she offered to actually bring the USA back into the monarchy. Um, <laughs> that, that was kind of funny. I don't think any of us are going to take that up, but this, the idea of kingdom is a, is a theologically packed word, in, but in those days, it wasn't a problem to say. You could say, hey... There's a king and there's a kingdom and everybody got it because they didn't have anything like the democracy or any participation in government like we have today. So it wasn't hard for them to understand. But what does that kingdom mean? Uh, Probably the most important thing is, so if you can step outside of our common understanding of kingdom or our misunderstandings about it and think theologically, what's the Bible trying to say when, when it uses the word kingdom? Well, it means that God is absolutely in charge. He is over all things. He is in charge. He is the Father, but that Father comes with these responsibilities that, uh, for instance, he, He is love, but in love He protects and holds up what is right. And that means sometimes hard things happen. He's responsible. He is God and the the ruler and protector of his kingdom. So there is that sense. There's also an idea that there is a current kingdom in which we have little glimpses of. Every now and then something beautiful happens and you go, oh my gosh, God is at work. You know, you have those little light bulb moments. You see something like, oh my gosh, I cannot deny it. Something happens with your family, your kids or whatever. You're like, oh, God is here. He's wor-. You know, we have these glimpses of the kingdom, but the kingdom right now uh, in our world has been uh, messed up. By, human, by humans. We have walked away from God and, the, and sin has entered and destroyed what that perfect thing looks like. There is a uh, sense of the kingdom that is happening right now in the presence of God where everything is right. Okay? The Lord, may your kingdom come means that we want as much of that in this world as we can possibly get and we look forward to the day when you will make all things right, which is the story of the Bible. He is making things right. And so we're looking forward to that day, that future kingdom when everything will be unfolded and everything may be made right. So when we say kingdom, Lord, may your kingdom come, it means a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there, and we are saying we are participating with you in bringing that. We would, we would, when, I, when I say it as rote memory, I'm like, thy kingdom come, check, that, you know, thy will be done, all that. In, but instead, what I'm saying is, I'm engaging with you, God, in making that a reality. All of these things that, or many of the things in this prayer, are like forward-facing, active participation kind of comments and statements that we're making to God. 
Okay, the next thing is he says, give us each day our daily bread. So this is the purpose of request. Jesus includes in there that request is a part of this. Please meet my daily needs. Now, if you were to go and look up prayer or look at prayers in the Bible, it's like drinking from the fire hose. It is loaded. I mean, it just goes on and it will overwhelm you. But one thing that you will always see is that in prayer, nothing is off limits to say to God. Just, just read the Psalms just a little bit, and you'll see, you'll see the people writing say some pretty shocking things. Like, what in the world is that guy talking about? How can you say that? That sounds so harsh and horrible. Well, God is, you know, he's capable of hearing whatever we want to bring. We can cry out. We can have joy. We can speak that to him. We can suffer and speak that to him. We can beg and, find, and plead for mercy with him to be in his presence. All of the things that are going on in our lives are worthy of being brought to him, and he wants to hear them. So we can bring our daily need, but also bring uh, our concerns, our anxieties of any kind. You know, I think of that, that uh, when that, that image of the little child in a father's lap, the child doesn't know what's inappropriate to ask for, Right? Child just asks, can I have 16 pieces of candy right now, Dad? You know, well, I'm making, that's kind of silly, but that's the kind of thing we do. You know, we can ask for extravagant, crazy things, but God is like a father and he understands that. He may not answer that in the way that we may have desired, but because we're like children, we have to trust that he is the father. Now, there, uh, one thing that's funny about this, it's kind of poignant to me in this illustration is that um, my daughter Sarah, when she was three, two or three, you know, about this big, but just could stick her head over the edge of uh, the, my bed. Um, she would come downstairs. This is just after she got into her, I guess, you know, big girl bed, right? So she, she comes downstairs, and it's always like six in the morning on Saturday. And she would pull the covers off first, and then she'd go, Daddy, feed me. Daddy, feed me. Daddy, feed me. Feed me, Daddy, feed me. And just pull on my, you know, shirt and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. And she wouldn't stop, you know, until I got up to feed her. And it's kind of funny because on Friday, um, I was actually writing this stuff down, this exact spot, and I get this text that, I think I wrote down what she said. Um, she said, uh, Dad, are you getting me T.O. today? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, of course I'm going to get you what you want. If I can, if there's any way that I can, Right? But we, there is a reality check in this and that all of us, and some of us more than others, have prayed and God has not answered the way we have seen, that we want him to answer. And, it's, and we've suffered. We've suffered from that. And while we don't understand all the time what God is doing, this is where we have to look back and realize if he is father, then he knows. And, and there's that aspect of trust. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make this a small point because I, I just can't deal with it. Uh, it's so complicated, but the, the, the idea of trust in him as father is what is critical. And I, and I think there's a couple of perspectives on our requests that we bring before him. One is where we could say, because you answer my prayer, I know that you love me. Because you've answered my prayer, I know you love me. Or, you love me, and because you love me, I know that you will answer my prayer. See, one has got the cart before the horse. Because you answer my prayer, 
I know that you love me. The other way, and possibly the, the best way, is I know that you love me, and therefore I know that you will answer my prayer. Because uh, th- that's the difference between having a genie and a father. We all want a genie. Like, okay, God, this is what I want. Okay, it seems to make sense. I really get it. You should too. So, genie, make it happen. And we all understand that. And, but a father is a different thing. Because you love me, I know that you will answer my prayer. It may not be yes, it may be later, it may be no, but I know that you will answer. A couple more things here. The, the last purpose uh, in, in the, there's three little lines in there uh, is about reconciliation or uh, relationship with God and with others. Look at it, it says, uh, forgive us our sins. So God understands that we need reconciliation with him, right? The whole story of the Bible is about reconciliation with him. It's the purpose of Jesus coming for us to make reconciliation possible. And so what, what is there that is more powerful in restoring relationship than forgiving? I mean, can you imagine if really forgiveness happened in your family? Not other people forgiving you, that'd be nice, but you actually forgiving. How would that change your immediate family, parental, sibling relationships, child relationship? What would happen in our community if there was complete forgiveness? What would that look like? (laughs) Okay. The kingdom. What if there was forgiveness in our country? Who, who is the one who would offer forgiveness or who is the group that could offer forgiveness? That's not going to come from the secular world, friends. That's about power. So God says, he's, Jesus says, when we speak to him, ask for forgiveness. Now there's foreshadowing in this because when Jesus says for, ask for forgiveness, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So the debt hasn't been paid yet in that timeline of history with these guys. So when we go and we say, Lord, forgive us, if you're a believer, you know that you are forgiven already. We're not, we're not saying, oh, oh let, me, let, me do the, let me make myself right and clean up so that you will forgive me. We're forgiven. So when we come to forgiveness, it's more of what the Bible talks about in terms of confession. We know we're forgiven, but we need to make our relationship right with God by speaking with him about it. So we're not saying, forgive me now. We are forgiven when the blood of Christ covers us through faith. When his sacrifice takes our place. Well, he talks about restoring human relationships too. He says, and this is one of the hard ones that when you pray, you're like, I don't know if I mean this. You know, we, for we forgive everyone who has forgiven us, who, who has a debt to us, right? So, if we were to do that, like I said, that would be an amazing thing. There would be nothing more powerful, but that is not a work that we do in order to be forgiven. Because he says, in the other version especially, in the Matthew version, it says, forgive us, you know, like, since we've forgiven other people. That's the way it sounds, but we know from the scripture, the whole picture, that we're not earning that forgiveness. We're not trying to get above a line with God by forgiving other people. This is what it looks like to live out our faith, and that is to forgive. 
It will be the natural progression of being forgiven. And then at the end, uh, he says uh, something that we say without thinking about very much, and lead us not into temptation. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because God doesn't tempt us. We know that. So why would he, we ask him to lead us not into temptation? If, if, I think the, the Matthew version has some information for us too that we can lay over this and it says, deliver us. So we know God is not going to lead us to temptation, but what he's actually going to do is give us a way out. Because temptation is the thing that is self-destructive. When we choose to follow what our own minds come up with, we destroy our relationship with ourselves and with other people. It's usually something selfish we've done that's messed something up and created a need for forgiveness from somebody else, right? And so God is concerned about our relationship with him, forgiveness with him, forgiveness towards other people, and also not continuing to do things that are self-destructive. I don't know if you saw this story. There, a guy and, uh, and his sister were in Yellowstone, and they were on those boardwalks over the geysers, right, and the pools, and a lot of you have been there or seen that. And so he deci- or they decided they were going to go find one that they could soak in. Right. So, you know, and if you've been there, yeah, if you've been there, you've seen the signs. The signs say, do not get off this boardwalk. Do not touch the, I mean, it's like, it's in a pamphlet, you know, it's pretty much flashing in front of you everywhere you go there. But they decide that they somehow know better and are going to choose to go off the pathway. Well, so she's recording, there's somewhere up in there, she's recording her, him with her phone when he slips into the pool that he's t- touching and he can't get out and she can't get him out. And so she, by the time she gets back, it's too late. The next day he, he has been boiled, he's bones. Just bones are in the, in the bottom of the thing. What a tragedy. And I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, that's just my life. Here's a beautiful boardwalk to observe the incredible things that God has made. Don't go over here. Okay, I'm recording myself going over there. It's going to be awesome. God, somehow I know better than you do. That is the story of my life. And it's from the beginning. That is what we do. We choose to do self-destructive things that then make uh, forgiveness absolutely necessary. Therefore, the gospel. You first people... Don't do that one little thing. Just don't do that thing. Of all the beautiful things that you can do, don't do that thing. Here's a sign. It's all messed up because that's the thing we choose. We just do it. We do it. Are you seeing the beauty of this prayer? It's incredible. But when I say it and from rote memory, it doesn't mean much. I spit it out. Then I go on to the next thing. God's concerned about all aspects of that relationship. So there's a position in which we understand that we're speaking to the Father. And then there are these pieces of the purpose of prayer. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to close, and I'm just going to not, not ask you even to try to recite or think of that prayer in your head. I'm just going to read this one and say amen. Okay? So will you bow with me? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here, y'all. Have a great week.